0: Thank <laughs> you. Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is in fact a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Oh, dear. Oh, did I just say, oh, dear, on live mic? I don't know, but that's kind of where I am today. uh, let's pray. I, uh, oh, things are, you know, <laughs> uh, I was talking with the voice in my head, Nicholas II, uh, about how I, I indulge in preventative worry. <laughs> things are never as bad as you expect them to be, usually. With that said, let's pray. Uh, it's, that's what passes for optimism with Germans. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's go to the big book. You know the one on the coffee table. This is Luke the 11th chapter, the 42nd verse and following. And it starts with woe, you Pharisees. Jesus was always saying woe to the Pharisee. Woe. What does woe mean? It doesn't mean like slow down horse, but it it it's it's actually the same word essentially, um uh, that you have an oy it's ve, veest is me, or woe is me. Uh, uh, again, a, uh, uh, an idea that some of us really love. I digress. Well, woe to you Pharisees, he's saying. But, you know, it's interesting that, that the Pharisees and Jesus were always arguing. Have you met any Jews? I have known some Jews very well. And the saying is true among them. Two Jews, three opinions. They are people who love to... To discuss things intensely, which is one of the reasons I so enjoyed Rabbi Lefkowitz. Um, <laughs> once, once we got past the uh, the ecumenical politeness, we had a great time arguing with each other. So Jesus is, this is an argument in the family. In a sense, the Pharisees and Jesus are on the same page. It's the Sadducees and Jesus who are not on the same page. They were making a fortune uh, from the temple sacrifices, and they were... Collaborationists with Rome, so the the Pharisees and Jesus. We see that that the Pharisees send people to to warn Jesus that Herod is trying to get him, and we see Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, saying, "What? Why are you worried about this? That if it's from the Lord, it's not going to go away. If it isn't, it'll go away of its own accord. Don't worry. You know, we should all have that attitude." So the Pharisees uh, were trying to figure out to what degree Jesus agreed with them, and in many things. He did, Uh, but this is not one of the things he agrees with them. And now remember, the Pharisees were a group of people who were considered the progressives. The Sadducees were the conservatives. The Pharisees were the progressives, and and they, uh, the the Sadducees were generally from priestly families. They had the money. They had the power at the time of Christ, Um, and. What they would do is say, you know, we'll take care of religion. You just pay, pray, and obey. Whereas the Pharisees wanted to involve every Jew, every, every man of Israel in the worship requirements of the temple. Now, priests lived under a, a, a real tight interpretation of the law. For instance, a priest could not be, someone who was descended from Aaron, could not be in the presence of death. And that's still true. If you meet someone whose last name is Cohen, as a Jew, and he's Orthodox, he's not going to go to a funeral unless it's a very, very close relative. Uh, a Cohen, a sacrificing priest, is not to be in the presence of death. They also have to practice strict washings. They can't uh, wear a garment that, that uh, has wool. Uh, and cotton or linen mixed together, uh, unless it's in the high priest's clothing. The belt is a combination of wool and, uh, I believe, linen. So uh, all of these intense laws. And the Pharisees said, no, those laws don't only apply. Now, this is the current scholarly opinion. Uh, an Orthodox Jew would disagree with this. Uh, their Pharise- the an Orthodox rabbi is theologically a Pharisee. Rabbi Lefkowitz used to love to introduce himself as a Pharisee. He'd startle, he'd go to these um, high school, Catholic high school or Christian high school gatherings, wouldn't be invited to speak. And he said, I am a Pharisee. <laughs> and they would all kind of gasp. Well, yeah, Pharisees were great people. They they preserved the cultural, the ethnic, and the spiritual identity of, of the Jewish people in, in a very difficult situation. So the Pharisees were heroic, but being kind of heroic, they got mocked a lot, and they were always on the horns of a controversy. All right, now, they said no, all these strict rules apply with their strict interpretation to the rank and file of Israel. That way they involved all of Israel in the life of the temple, and that way they... uh, uh, Try to find ways to make those things possible. I've often shared the example of, of uh, my friend Levy Lefkowitz, the rabbi's son, who was the chazan, the cantor, and uh, at the synagogue, and uh, just a, a poor, shabby old synagogue in a poor neighborhood. And uh, you can't carry keys on Sabbath. It's, that's to carry a burden. Well, in a neighborhood like Uptown, how are you going to lock the the shul, the synagogue? Well. If your keys were attached to your belt and you put your belt on, you weren't carrying keys. You were merely dressing. So Levi on Shabbos would have a stretchy belt on it were keys and he would lock and unlock the synagogue uh, with these keys. He wasn't carrying a burden. The burden was already there. We may think that's kind of funny, but the, the Pharisees called it putting a hedge about the law. Now... Let's look at the passage. You pay tithes of mint and rue and every garden herb. And as promised, I will explain what rue is. We know what mint is. Um, Mint was very commonly used as an herb in cooking in the ancient Roman world, Mediterranean world. But rue, it's ruta graviolens, which means a thing dug up, or it can mean bitter, ruta. Uh, and graviolins means stinking. It was a bitter herb, and enough of it will make you sick. But it is still popular in Ethiopian cooking. So um, yeah, that's what roux is. It's a bitter herb used in sauces. Now you know. Uh, it's almost impossible to find now. Well, what, what's, why is Jesus pointing this out? It was considered that that garden herbs, when they were dried, could not be measured if you're going to give a tenth of the mint that was grown in your garden, you had to weigh out all the mint and then weigh out one-tenth of it. There weren't weights small enough, but they would carefully divide it and bring their little bit of mint or rue or whatever spice, they, or whatever herb they were using, they would bring it to the temple and say, here's a tenth of my my, my, my rue. <laughs> so that's how, how precise they were. Um, and then uh, he says, you love the seat of honor in synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Uh, the humility is much more important. I mean, it's. A, our re- I think this is a very important biblical principle, because our religious lives can become arrogant. Well, I always say these extra prayers with the rosary, just in case. I don't say those. I didn't grow up saying those. Well, all right, but, you know, you know, St. 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 Dymphna of Poitiers said that you really should times we can be so arrogant in our religious observance and we think we're being religious. Now, if, if there is an obscure practice that means a lot to you, by all means enjoy, but it's when you Afflict other people with, with your, with your kind of piety. Now, there are certain, the Ten Commandments, those apply to all of us. Our obligation to Sunday Mass, our obligation to prayer, even our obligation, uh, to, to, uh, uh, honor the Blessed Mother. Well, if you're gonna honor the Blessed Mother, you have to say these prayers. No, you don't. You have to honor the Blessed Mother. It's very important that people look at us and see who we are inside. In other words, they look at you know, well, I may have some very strange spiritual practices, but boy, I'm a happy person. I'm joyful. Sometimes I am. Usually not. I'm saying I in the generic sense. You know, they'll look at your joy. They'll look at your generosity, your kindness, your humility. And so often, like the Pharisees, we can practice the minutiae of a particular spirituality as a form of arrogance instead of a form of prayer. And we have to constantly examine our consciences about this. You love the seat of honor in synagogues. Greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you. You're like unseen graves over which people unknowingly walk. To have contact with a grave made you ritually unclean. Not only could the priests not be in contact with death, we shouldn't be in contact with death, real death. One of the scholars of the law, or the scribes, uh, Grammatis is, is, I think the word in Said to him, teacher, by saying this, you're insulting us too. And Jesus said, You bet I am. <laughs> also, do you scholars of the law? The scholars of the law were the ones. What a scribe was was a person who hand copied the the Torah, the scriptures. And lo and behold, um, uh, they knew the law inside and out. Uh, today, if you meet a Jewish scribe, he's a person who does one of the scrolls of the law. They must be handwritten and exact. It's it's, it's a it's a It's an amazing skill and a a real feat. It's amazing. But at that time, not only copied the law, they were literate, and they read the law, and they understood it in all of its details. And, um, you know, they made sure that, that people knew what the rules were. The Pharisees, at least, tried to help them carry it. So uh you know i think that we need to uh, so many people delight in in saying oh well this is this is a sin that's a sin this is a sin there are enough sins you don't have to invent new ones you know i i, I remember there was a fellow who used to come to the rectory every wednesday and thir- and friday to see what we were eating and we ate whatever there was left over from the pantry distribution to the poor and uh, um you know we all ate together the staff you know the janitors the housekeeper the everybody all the priests we just you know, there'd be 10 people at the table eating whatever there was and uh, this fellow would come to the rectory every single wednesday and every single friday to inspect what we were eating and he said father simon the blessed mother at medjugorje has said you may eat only bread and water on wednesdays and thursdays and i said john seven kids in yugoslavia said the blessed mother said that and besides she's not the pope oh the vein would stand out on his head and he would storm out (laughs) This was, I'm sure I'm going to spend some time in purgatory because I so enjoyed upsetting the fellow. But you see, we do that. We say, well, this visionary said, or uh, this particular theologian said, and we make laws for other people. If I feel this is my moral responsibility to eat bread and water, if this speaks to me from this vision, then good. And you can pray that, you know... The person you're talking to gets into the groove, but you see, you understand what I mean? There are enough sins. You don't have to invent new ones. You don't want to be lax. You want to know what God has asked, and that's why we study the Bible and we study the catechism, but to add to the law, that's what the scribes were doing. So let me go real quickly to the first reading. Um, you know, my theory, um, well, this fits in nicely with it. You... O oh man, and that's the word onthrope, which means human being, is the inclusive word for man. Uh, you, O oh man, are there is one in Greek. Anthropos is inclusive; aner is exclusive. Uh, it's a male, is an aner. O man, are without excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, for by the standard with which you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the very same things. That should be a warning. That when we, when we, when we judge. In other words, when we remember to judge in, in the Hebrew context is not the same as judging in the Greco-Roman Western European forensic thing, you know, guilty or innocent. It, it means also to offer counsel and, You know, I'm a giver of unsolicited advice. (laughs) And, uh, well, I shouldn't be too critical of other people, as I've just been, who are giving unsolicited advice. You know, since you, the judge, do the very same thing. So stop giving, you know, stop telling people how they should run their lives. Help them to run it. So um, this goes on. Uh, What what he's saying is, you think you're devout. You know, this is, Remember, this is problem, of how are the Jews and the Greeks going to get along? Well, in, in I think it was yesterday that, that uh, Paul talks about how he was, um, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, the Jew first, and then the Greek. Well, today he repeats that phrase. And he says, um, do you think you'll escape the punishment of God? Uh, um you're storing wrath up for yourself for the day of wrath and revelation when you when you pile sins on other people. And he says, yes, affliction and distress will come upon everyone who does evil, the Jew first and then the Greek. Salvation for the Jew first, they were the first to hear the gospel, and then the non-Jew, the Greek. Uh, well, therefore, the Jew was responsible for receiving this salvation, and the Greeks are just as responsible. Who does? But there will be glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and then the Greek. So Paul repeats that phrase three times, the Jew first and then the Greek. What he's saying is we're all in this together. There is no partiality with God. And that word for partiality is really cool. That'll be the word of the day. Oh, I think we need to talk about mass hysteria, where I do exactly what I've railed against. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Today while the blossoms still cling to the vine I'll taste your strawberries I'll drink your sweet wine See it's religious, it talks about wine I'm not, I'm not kidding That was frequently an offertory song In the college seminary that I attended I'm not making this up it's a nice song it mentioned wine you're bringing up bread and wine whatever that's the depth the 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 nadir the low point well no there were lower points but it was one of the low points to which the liturgy descended us old priests were trained in liturgical abuse it, it just we were schooled in this in this school of bad art and, and cheap sentimentality that still afflicts the liturgy. And I guess one of the things I just want to say is, isn't it about time that we kind of grew up? I was talking about that yesterday. Well, we need to have masses that, that people enjoy that bring people. No, we don't. No, we don't. Uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord provides the harvest. Uh, um, the- no, we don't need to, to uh, I'll use a strong word, whatever. We don't need to seduce people into faith. And that song is a very seductive song. We don't need to seduce people into faith. What did Jesus do? He, he said, uh, you want to follow me? <laughs> the birds of the air have their nests, and the foxes have their dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I have found about Christ that he will tell you the unpleasant truth Something you encounter. The devil tells you pleasant lies and half truths. Jesus says, "You want to follow me? They're going to be tough." Jesus always goes for quality over quantity, and ultimately, quality also draws in quantity. Didn't stoop to the most common denominator, but we in the '60s thought, "Oh, we've got to get people to be good, so we'll we'll sort of uh, sugar." Nice music, and people will come in, and then of course uh, people would come to these masses, and then realize they weren't that important. My classmate Father Brankin makes the point that the new religion just does not have the power to inspire. It doesn't have the power to inspire. You're going to give up your life as a martyr for today while the blossom still. It has it has no power to inspire. It's not heroic, and. Well, we would be told, well, yeah, young people aren't coming to church, but when they marry and, and they have their own kids, they, they all come back. They all come back. That was three or four generations ago that I was told they'll all come back. Guess what? They didn't. Time to end the foolish experiment and to look at the liturgy for what it is, be it novus ordo or extraordinary form, to look at Mass for what it is and to, to be drawn to the Lord on Calvary, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. I will not draw the, the politically correct. I will not draw the sentimental. I will draw all. So time to lift up the Lord instead of trying to seduce people into faith. That's just my opinion. Let's go to a break. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And uh, <laughs> you'll rue the day that you ate too much rue. The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at RelevantRadio.com Forester. Listen, I've traveled every road in this here land. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear man. I breathe the mountain air, man. i travel well, out of my share, man. I suppose this song is appropriate for me. I've been everywhere, mostly looking for my keys. Uh, all right, well, let's, let's go to letters. And remember, where the phone line is open at 888 914 9149. All right. This letter is from Ellis in Fresno. Fresno, where I actually have family, and the city motto. It's a dry heat. All right, moving along. Kosher law forbids eating shellfish. Is this because kosher law forbids eating bugs? And even, actually, not all bugs are forbidden by kosher law. But even though the rabbis who put these into practice 2,000 years ago never heard of Linnaeus, they are instinctively sensed by their appearance that shrimp, crab, and lobster had to be some kind of bugs. They are, after all, the same biological phylum as. I I like that stuff. Cockroaches, silverfish, and fleas—well, that's awful. If these foods and others of the same sort are considered unclean, uh, um, is it because they are bugs? (sighs) The voice might just said, "Oh, this is great radio." No, kosher—I really believe kosher law had nothing to do with with um, uh, sanitation of any kind or or human kind of. Well, the big reason we don't eat that is because it's supremely yucky. No, it, it wasn't about that. Shellfish were extremely common in the Mediterranean, especially on the coast of of the Holy Land. The Philistines lived there, and it's very Mediterranean. People always think of you know, you see the the the. Um, Bible pageants with everybody walking around with towels on their heads and wearing, wearing loose-fitting garments and all that. And there's big rocks and deserts. That's not what it looks like. East of Jerusalem, yeah, it looks like that. But west of Jerusalem, it looks oh, a little like oh, what would it look like? Like a of course, kind of warmer version of of. Uh, of Italy with hummus. I mean, it's it's Mediterranean, and they the Philistines love, loved. Uh, there, there, well, there's still some Philistines around. The Lebanese, they love, uh, as do the Italians, the creepy crawly things that come out of the ocean, and the point of kosher law was to to make a barrier between the people of God and the worshipers of idols. And it was the very commonality of those foods, such as pork. Well, pigs are dirty. Have you ever seen chickens? Chickens are filthy. Chicken is kosher, pork is not. Why? Pork was a favorite food of the gods. It was a small enough animal that anybody could offer a pig to Zeus. You know, a cow, that was a bit more of a commitment. That was like mooning a piece of farm machinery. No, the, the kosher law was meant to differentiate uh, between um, uh, the, um, the people of God and the people of 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 false gods. Uh, it. I, I do not believe it has anything to do with hygiene or even the yuck factor of food. So that's my thought, Alice. I hope that helps. Let's see here. This is, um, oh, this is funny. This was on the Feast of St. Francis. Uh, so I'm way behind in letters. It's from Daniel. With St. Francis of Assisi being one of the greatest saints of the church why is it that all that seems to be talked about on his feast days is his connection with animals and nature i feel especially within the church that his holiness and teachings could be greater emphasized but maybe i'm overreacting no daniel you're not i mean most people when they think of saint francis they think of a bird feeder or a birdbath in the in fact i have a, a statue of saint francis that somebody uh, gave me out in the garden so uh um No, he. The reason that he's associated with animals was if if people would not hear him, he would go preach to the animals, and they would listen. I always thought that was just mythology until I actually heard a story from Father Benedict Rochelle, uh, who knew Father Solanus Casey, who was actually my grandmother's spiritual director. By which meant when Grandma came unglued, he put her back together. Uh, He was an amazing man. uh, and, and uh, there was an incident where in the, in the novitiate, uh, um, uh, <clears throat> that uh, the bees, they were keeping bees, and the bees were going crazy and all of the novices are swatting and running and, and brother Solanus who had a terrible skin condition himself, suffered greatly, he came up and said, what's the trouble? And said, we don't know. So he goes over to the beehive and he reaches in and takes a bee out and puts it in a little cloth. And he said there were two queens, which if you keep bees, you realize two queens is a prescription for disaster. Uh, So if Solanus Casey could talk to bugs, I have no problem with St. Francis talking to the wolf at Gubbio or preaching to the fish. That's why he's associated with animals. However, his holiness and and his teachings and his writings, they are, you're right, they're neglected. But just a, a side note, I remember once being asked if I was going to do the blessing of animals and I said, the only blessing of animals I know is grace before meals. I think the person wanted to hit me. I'm kidding. Well, mostly. All right. Moving along here. Let's see here. Okay. This is a tough question. Maybe I should go to the next one. Um, I believe I've heard that of the virtues, only charity... Remains in heaven. There's no need for hope or faith because everything has been accomplished. Saint Paul does say, say these three: these three endure faith, hope, and love, charity, agape. Uh, but the grace of these is love. Um, the hope and faith point toward God. So, in the full knowledge of God, they are meaningless. You know, I I don't know that I'd say that. Uh, I would say that God does possess hope and faith in a different way than we do. He is our hope and he is the object of faith. Remember, I'm always telling you, translate the word faith as trust. Uh, Well, God is trustworthy. God is love. God is the object of our hope and God is trustworthy. So in a sense, God, he, you know, uh, you mentioned in this uh, Jordan, it's Jordan from St. Paul, that, that God is the, um, 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 the 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 possessor of all virtues the sum of all virtues which I think is is true but he is love itself he is faith itself and he is hope itself that in him we hope and in him we trust in that sense I think he does possess all of those virtues. Um, all of those virtues. Uh, So, you know, this is something that people don't think about who are Christians, but the monotheistic religions, Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity, Judaism won't say what God is. They'll say what God is not. Islam won't even say what God is not. Christianity dares because we believe God has been revealed in Christ to say that God is love. And that God is the sum of all virtues, which of course is love. Um, so, uh, you know, I think I think you can, if you look at it that way, that, that faith and hope are are part of the mystery of God too. So I, that's just a thought on it. I I may be waxing too poetic, but uh, what are you going to do? Okay, I got a question here about uh, um, (laughs) the Knights of Columbus, but the the amusing thing, uh, this is from someone named Marge, (laughs) and this is very, very... uh humble we had seven children one evening after home mass we were missing one child forgot to pick him up at the ballpark after football practice uh it was dark when i ran into him no cell phones that i i shared with marge that uh i remember we we used to an uh, apostolate we had well it was my summer work we, i drove a bus for an orphanage and and uh, we 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 actually there was there were twins and it was a tense few minutes uh when we realized we'd lost one of them they were identical twins and one of them got on the bus we counted him and then uh, he jumped off the back of the bus and came around again and we counted him as his brother it took a little while to unscramble the mystery but uh so, yeah, yeah, kids, they squirm a lot. So, don't feel too bad, Marge, about that. But back to this. You just wanted to ask you if the Knights of Columbus were like the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. No, they're not. The Knights of Columbus were founded as a fraternal organization. Oh, why can't I think of the name of the man who founded them? He was a, I think he's up for uh, Canada's, Michael McGivney. I think he may be up for canonization, a real saint. Well, um, the, uh, um, um, Father Michael McGibney, uh, he uh, um, realized that there were these fraternal organizations that were very anti-Catholic, such as the Freemasons, that sort of thing. And he decided to um, create an organization uh, for Catholic immigrants to help one another. So that's the Knights of, of Columbus. The Knights of the Holy Sepulchre, the Knights of Malta, they can trace their roots back to the Crusades. They were, they were from... Uh, armed monastic orders that protected pilgrims to the Middle East. So they're really very different. uh, But in modern times, all of them are involved in, in philanthropy. So in that way, they are quite similar. So I hope that helps a little march. And uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, you keep good track of the children, despite, I'm sure you know where all of them are now. All right, let us go to, um, uh, 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 we're going to go to a break, come back and uh, have the word of the day and take your phone calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We shall return. The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at RelevantRadio.com slash Forester. We're on to phone calls, but before that... <laughs> We're done with the letters. I want to remind you, you have only two days, midnight, October 15th, to sign up for the beautiful outdoor nativity set. Uh, that uh, valued at over $500. And we want you to have it in plenty of time to display it through Advent and Christmas seasons. Let people know that Jesus is the reason for the season. So we're giving away a set to 200 lucky listeners. So register to win a set at relevantradio.com slash nativity. And if you don't know how to work a computer, talk to one of your children or grandchildren. They know. That's Relevant Radio dot com slash nativity and you have until midnight october the 15th well all right let us go to the word of the day in today's reading and this just sort of jumped out at me and i thought hmm, i wonder what that means there is no partiality with god i thought he was kind of partial you know to those who love god all things work for the good you know well let's i decided of course to look that up in you guessed it Greek, and now my computer's just going around in circles. <sighs> well, I, I think I can do it without... Oh, now it's gone away totally. All right, uh, let's see here. Oh, there it is. I found it again. Um, no, that's not it. Uh, I'll, I'll wing it. Uh, the, uh, the word for... Uh, oh, no, I, I can't wing it. I, you know, I, I press a button and it goes away. Why is this? <sighs> to... Father, you're in an ever, ever-present battle with your computer. Now, are you saying that live?
1: Yes, your voice live.
0: in my head. Yes, that's live. See, that's the voice in my head. Yeah, my, you know, and I, I, I'd like to say it's the computer's fault, but well, it isn't. Okay, let's see. Oh, where are we here? I'll just have to go back because I, I do want the word. It's it's prosopolemptis or something. You know, it's an odd word. But it it means someone who takes things on the face. Uh, it, it isn't exactly partiality. It's it's about someone who who looks at the face first. Hold on, press that button and hope. And, ah, yes, Romans. Oh, good grief! Now I have to push that. Isn't this? Oh, this is just such great radio. Okay. God does not show favoritism. That's one translation of it. It's Romans 2.11. And the word in Greek is prosopolempsia. What the heck is prosopolempsia? Prosopon is a face, that which is in front of the eyes. And, you know, the word persona, I've shared this before. A persona was the mask. That uh, an actor in, in the Greek and Roman theater war, well, clearly that's the god Zeus. Clearly that's Apollo. Clearly that's the goddess Hera. That they were stock characters. And inside the mask, there was a, um, a megaphone so you could hear in the cheap seats. That was a mask. And a hypocrite, that literally means an under-answerer. It's someone who's wearing a mask and speaks through it. So In Greek, the word for for person is prosopon. It means the face. Um, And prosopolemsia is to take things by their appearance. God is not a judge of appearances, really is the sense. Uh, He's translated a respecter of persons, but it really is uh, uh, someone who takes things at face value, um, who judges by the appearance God does not judge by appearance; He judges the heart. So this fits in again beautifully with the gospel. Uh, you can clean the outside of the dish all you want, but if the inside is filthy, it's still filthy. So God does not judge by appearances. That's what that there is no partiality with God. Um, You're looking Jewish; that doesn't mean God's going to favor you. You're looking Greek; doesn't mean God's going to favor you or reject you. Uh, God judges by the interior. All right, let's go to phone calls. <laughs> The siren is ringing. <laughs> I do enjoy Inspector Clouseau. Bob from Rochester, Minnesota, are you with us? Hi, Father Simon. Yes, I'm with you. And I apologize. Good, I, good. Uh, what I can I got out of my you? car and it's really windy here. But oh. I had a question Oh, yes, for you. it's... it's I was, yes. I was hoping you could help me out. One of the faith formation kids this last week asked a question, and we'd like to be able to answer them, um, asked, sure. why, was, why was Jesus born white? And I, I think I know how he I represents. would answer that, but I think it, uh, it's a question fraught with peril these days. And I guess I yeah. just wondered, with your perspective on, on cultures and everything, uh, ancient languages and everything else,
1: yeah. and how sure. do you uh,
0: address that sort of question? uh it's like what do you mean white? I have a lot of Puerto Rican friends who are paler than I am, but they're not white. you know he was born in an oppressed minority, the Jews. He wasn't born white. We think of Jews as white now, but when I was a kid uh, Jews weren't white. You see the definition of white changes it, it isn't an objective reality that that we are all uh, we're all African, you know. I think that's an important thing to remind people of, that the best science says that uh, human beings came out of Africa 80,000, 90,000 years ago and in a couple waves, and everyone in the world is descended from one man and one woman who lived originally in Africa, and they had very dark skin. Skin color takes 20,000 years to change. If you're in a cold climate where there isn't much sun, you will turn white as Minnesota. And uh, uh, because there isn't that much sun in order for you to produce vitamin D, you can't have that much melatonin in your skin. So if somebody who is black moves, uh, if a group of people who are dark skinned move to Minnesota, uh, especially in the forests, in 20,000 years, if the Lord doesn't come first, their skin's going to be white. White, is white, black, brown, they are not realities. That 99.9 something percent of our genetic material is the same. There's only one race, the human race. However, there is ethnic culture. And Jesus was not born European. He was born Jewish in the Mediterranean. He was Semitic. His skin would probably have been a little darker than people's. Not a lot. I mean, dark, darker than, say, a German's, but... Probably not a lot, uh, um, but he was born in an oppressed minority. And he, he, when I was a boy, uh, we had actual trouble moving into LaGrange where I grew up because our last name is Simon. My father worked for a Jewish company and LaGrange was restricted. We weren't considered white. We had to prove, they had actually investigated us to prove that we were not Jewish, but that we were, we were Caucasian. Being Catholic was bad enough, but Jewish was simply not allowed in LaGrange. And, uh, so, you know, white, dot white, black, uh, these are all cultural constructs that change, um, and, and, uh, uh, they're wrong. And to, to, to say someone is, is white, well, that really is as racist as to say someone is black or brown, that to define people by their skin color, we'll talk about, uh, judging by appearances, uh. Uh, as I mentioned. So maybe you'll want to play this for him. I, I think to say that Jesus was white, no, Jesus was human. He was born in the very center of the ancient world, which was in the Holy Land. So does that help? That helps a great deal. Thank you, Father Simon. That's terrific. Yeah, and this, this business of white and black, my gosh. It just, we are such racists, and it's worse than it was in the 19th century. We're still living on these 19th century failed pseudo-Darwinian constructs, and I'm tired of it. And I'm not white. I'm kind of pink. All right, let's move on to the next phone call. Who have we got, dear voice in my head? John from Madison. You with us? Oh, John, I don't hear John from Madison. Hmm. Yes. Oh, Oh, John. Hi, hi. What can can I do for you? I have a two-part question. Uh, I understand that the Democratic Party was pro-life up until some priest and the bishop, perhaps, uh, convinced them to uh, accept abortion as a political tool. Um, and if that's the case, uh, my next question is, what happened in terms of um, the church's um, um, dilemma in working with these priests and this bishop? Was there any kind of excommunication, or were they... Um, I, of this, you know, of this I know in nothing. Any way? I, you know, uh, the Democrats, uh, everybody was pro-life up until the 60s. Uh, abortion was just... Wrong. Timory did a love, lovely show on that last night. So, and I do not, I have never heard the story that a, a bishop or priests convinced uh, the Democrats to go pro-abortion. Pro um, you might be thinking of, uh, I think, oh gosh, I wonder, I don't want to mention any names, but there was a Catholic college that I think kind of broke the ice um, with it. But I, I certainly don't believe any bishops in the 60s. Uh, if it was, I never heard of it. But the dean of uh, of a Catholic co- prominent Catholic college, I believe, uh, was kind of kind of hemmed and hawed on 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 the idea of abortion. Let me let me click away at something and just see if I'm not okay. Let's see. All right. Uh, let's see. According to. Uh, mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, that that um, you know that that I think that uh, that might be true that there was uh, uh, the 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 president of a Catholic university who might have pointed out this is a matter of, of civil rights. Uh, but I'd have to research it. But I know of no bishops who who conspired to make abortion legal. So I'll, I'll try and look into it. And if if I find anything interesting, I'll I'll I'll, I'll share it. But again. As far as I know, everybody, Democrats, Republicans, and everything in between were pro-life until the 60s, and uh, politics, uh, of course, uh, um, jumps on any bandwagon that is popular. So, well, I'll look into it. Who we've got next, dear voice in my head? Andrew, are you with us? Hello, Father Simon. Hi, what can, can, I do can you for hear me? You? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in what Paul would have meant in Hebrews 412 when he says uh, that the, the living the Word of God is 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 living, etc. Um, particularly how that might be related to convincing someone that God is the author of, of Scripture. Well, first of all, uh, what what I, we don't know that it was Paul who said it. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if most scholars that they don't think of Hebrews as written by Paul. But I kind of I, I don't have a problem with that because it's, it's it's I find it in some ways looks very much like Paul's letter to the Romans. However, what he says is the word of God. Now the word here is logos which means logos doesn't mean what we mean by word. What we mean by word is more Rema, you know, something you can spell with letters, something that you can write. But logos is the reasonable heart of any uh, reasonable argument. We get words like logic and logarithm and uh, uh, psychology and theology from the word logos in Greek. So it really is an entire way of life. So he says, that this this truth is a living thing, and we always re- remind it's always to be remembered that that the Bible, strictly speaking, isn't the Word of God. When He it speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, yes, it's the Word of God. But the Bible is clear that in John the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's saying Jesus of Nazareth is the incarnated. Uh, heart of God. The, 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 he is the, the, the very principle of God. And uh, Jesus came to share his word, he himself, which is a way of life. So, uh, it is that this, this isn't just a philosophy, but he's pointing out that this word is a living, active uh, reality. And it's sharper than, than a two-edged sword. Because you see, it it uh, what Paul was probably thinking about was was the the Roman short sword, which was the the main weapon of the fighting infantry, and it was a stabbing uh, and a cutting instrument. So what he's saying is that this this uh, that, that 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 Christ is like the short sword of the Romans; it goes right into you, and then either way, it will. It will it will show what's really inside you that's that's what he's saying uh that that your relationship to christ if you love him or you hate him he's going to separate uh the joints and the marrows he's going to show what's really inside you because he's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart like a roman short sword goes right through you right down the middle in either way so the The word of God, this, 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 this pronouncement, who Jesus is. Uh, I remember uh, Bishop Barron says that the great question isn't uh, uh, um, who do you think of, what do you think about Jesus. The great question Jesus asked the disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" And that still is the question. Not do you say who I was, but who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? You know, well, the church this and the church that. Forget the church for just a minute. Who do you say he is? That's, I think, what St. Paul, if he wrote the letter to the Hebrews, means in in that statement, that this word, you know, and we encounter him in the scriptures. You can't, I really don't think you can hear God unless you really know the scriptures. So the word of God speaks to us through the scriptures primarily. And uh, uh, so you got to know the Bible because in the Bible, you're going to hear this, this word, which will show who you really are. It's like a rock. You're going to break yourself on, you know, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And I think that that's a good, a good, uh, addendum to this section of scripture. So I hope that helps a little stay tuned for Drew because he helps a lot.